Welcome back to another episode of Locked on NBA Draft. My name is Richard Stamen. You might know me better as at Mavs Draft on Twitter. So this is obviously the dull part of the offseason. I'm trying to just spice it up and get you a little bit more excited for this upcoming draft and this upcoming NBA season. And part of that, I think, does have to do with what just happened in the 2021 NBA Draft and really just overall the NBA season, what comes ahead, it kind of feeds into the NBA draft as a whole. So for this episode, I'm going to do a preview of the Southeast Division. That's five teams. It's the Washington Wizards, the Atlanta Hawks, the Orlando Magic, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Miami Heat. And I'm also going to spice it up and make it a little bit fun at the end and do some of my favorite draft picks and worst picks um, of each of the teams at the end. This will be a decently quick episode with that going to try and do this a quick overview not go super in depth that's what the locked on host teams have for you in the locked on nba channel and other channels where they go full on they do full breakdowns but i'm going to do some just quick brief overviews of what to look for and just some unique elements for these teams but first this episode is brought to you by rock auto amazing selection reliable low prices all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com and tell them locked on sent you so Let's start. Let's just dive right into it. Let's do a preview of the Southeast Division. I'm going to start with the Washington Wizards, someone who I've done a lot of research on in the last few days, just gotten really excited about, you know, just what to look for from them this year and and just gotten through some of their history. So the big storyline with the Wizards is what happens with Bradley Beal and how far can he take them? You know, they got to the play in game last year and they didn't really find too much success in overall in the NBA season. I think it could have been a better year for them. They really, you know, didn't, they haven't surrounded Bradley Beal well at all. They lost in the first round against Philadelphia in five games. They did take one. So props to them on that, but they changed coaches. They now have, um, I I'm Wes Unseld Jr. Don't know why I hesitated for a second on that. I completely forgot, but he's going to be a big X's and O's upgrade from Scotty Brooks. They also have gotten some better players, I think, especially, at, honestly, just in youth. They got Corey Kispert, um, Isaiah Todd. I really liked that pickup. And then Jay Huff, those are three draft pick acquisitions. And then they have some solid young guys. And then, obviously, the Russell Westbrook trade netted them Montrez Harrell and KCP from the Lakers, as well as Kyle Kuzma. And Thomas Bryant returns from an ACL tear. So they have a lot to look forward to this year. And... I don't really have a prediction for them or anything, but they are probably one of the most interesting teams to watch this season. I think they, I think they got Beal better help all around. I mean, coaching staff and overall talent. They clearly upgraded their roster, even though they downgraded one player in Russell Westbrook and kind of spread out that value across several players. I think they needed the depth pretty badly. I think having KCP, you saw how good he was with the Lakers, one of the best spot-up shooters and best, you know, just off-ball players, and he was a sufficient defender. I think things like that are kind of what you need next to Bradley Beal for him to be most successful. So I really like the pickup of him, and then Montrose Harrell is one of the best bench bigs in the entire league, has been, even if he was kind of unplayable in the playoffs. It's not really a huge issue for the Wizards right now, just given their timeline. They're just trying to win a series, and I don't think that's as detrimental to them as it is for teams like the Lakers. But, you know, with him and Thomas Bryant, I don't know what they necessarily have on the front court together. And then Rui Hachimura, 
and Daniel Gafford. Like that's a it's a good front court, but what does it all amount to? And they also and and this is a backcourt player. I'm looking through the roster, and I forgot they also added Aaron Holiday as a call as a quality backup point guard to help you know lighten the the loss of Russell Westbrook. So some things to watch for them, I think, are there's a few storylines. One. How much better does Rui Hachimura get? Does he finally get over the hump and become a little bit more consistent? His first two years, he's averaged about the same points per game, 13.5 and and 13.8. He needs to get better as a playmaker, and his efficiency, for the most part, has been around the same. It's been 46.6 and 47.8. Can he continue to up that, especially at three-point percentage? He had a career-best three-point percentage this year at 33%. He needs to get above 35, I think, to really make that jump. And that could open up a lot of doors. That would be a great second option next to Bradley Beal. I don't really know who the second option is next to Beal right now. And that's really the biggest concern for the Wizards. But some things to watch, I think, outside of that are how lethal can the lineups next to Bradley Beal. There's probably going to be some variation where you get him next to three different shooters where you could play all at once. Granted, defensive concerns with, I think, to some extent, having two of these guys out there, but... Uh, which are Corey Kispert and Davis Bertans, two of the very best catch-and-shoot players already in the league. And Corey Kispert hasn't even played one game, but he will be one of the best catch-and-shoot players the same way that Desmond Bain was this year. This last year, that's what Corey Kispert will be, that same production from three. And then also having Contavious Caldwell-Pope out there. I'm really interested to see what a lineup of those three guys next to Bradley Beal at the same time would look like. And Maybe, you know, you play KCP at the four, you or guess Kispert and KCP at the three, Bradley Beal at the two, and maybe you put Aaron Holiday at the one. He's been a little bit of an off-ball player, but hasn't been the most productive there. Um, so I think I think their upside with those lineups is really good. They've they've surrounded Bradley Beal with complimentary players. So not only with shooting, but Montrose Harrell as a pick-and-roll big is great. Thomas Bryant as a pick-and-roll big is great. And Thomas Bryant, of course, can score better for himself than... Um, than that of than Montrez Harrell. And they've also added in the backcourt, you have Aaron Holiday who can help himself and one player who I have no idea how I've completely forgotten to mention him, but Spencer Dinwiddie. That was probably actually their biggest acquisition as a slasher. Not much of a great shooter, but he helps put pressure on the rim and he can defend a decent amount, which I think helps a lot. So I actually really do low-key like what the Wizards did. The question is, is adding those like five to six players make them that much better than having Russell Westbrook? And does the coaching change make a huge difference? I think for them, they need Corey Kispert to be at an all rookie level, which is very possible. We saw Desmond Bain as an all rookie this last year, but a tougher rookie class and a award that's based on volume a lot. Can Corey Kispert get there? I don't know. So I would love to see what they do there. I think for, the biggest goal, like I said, is Corey Kispert has to be all rookie to be, you know, if you get him and Davis Bertans performing, that's pretty dang good. So um, let's do the next fun segment of this, which is the Wizards draft history. What if um, kind of the, it, someone had suggested a good friend of mine, Wash Mavs blog um, names, Tyler. He told me, you know, you should do best and worst picks of the, of each team in this. And, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a twist on that, and I'm going to do a twist off what would have happened if their worst pick had gone right. So I was, I, I've been looking at drafts, and something I've noticed is a lot of teams get two of three. And when they're in a rebuild, they get three top picks. The Wizards, for example, in 2010 had the number one pick. They took John Wall. They hit. In 2011, they had the sixth pick, and they took Jan Vesely, arguably the very worst player in the top 10. <clears throat> and then 
And 2012, they took Bradley Beal at number three, an absolute steal, all things considered. When Michael Kidd Gilchrist was number two pick, that's two of three. Now, my question is, what would have happened had the Wizards taken someone other than Jan Vesely? They they had a plethora of options. They could have taken someone even as simple as Bismack Biombo, who I think went the next pick. Uh, yes, the next pick, he was taken by... Um, uh, honestly, I'm blanking on who took him because I'm I'm looking at the list and I know it wasn't um, I know it was not Sacramento even that's who it was listed at it was Charlotte excuse me I I'm ter- terribly sorry for that blunder but they got him and Kemba Walker both top ten picks had the Wizards just taken Bismack Biombo I think the timeline does look a little bit different and while he's not like a player that moves the needle the gap between him and Jan Vesely is massive what if they took Brandon Knight another guard next to John Wall what if they took Kemba Walker an all a future All Star guard next to John Wall. Would Kemba Walker have been himself? You know, Could they have reached and taken Clay Thompson, Alec Burks? Those were the 11th and 12th picks. The, the wild possibilities are just fascinating. What if they had gotten Clay Thompson next to John Wall? Can you imagine where we already saw Bradley Beal in 20, you know, the 2010s with John Wall running in transition, Bradley Beal spotting up elite duo in transition. Now imagine if you had Clay Thompson right next to him. Who knows if the Wizards do end up getting the number three pick, but something to think about that's been something that's been on my mind wanted to share that with you just a kind of fun what if um when i come back i am going to do the charlotte hornets miami heat orlando magic and the atlanta hawks the rest of the division previews uh so you don't want to miss that but first a word from sweat block and bet online so you've probably heard if you've listened to any of the last recent episodes i talked about sweat block and how it's helped me i've used their wipes and i've used their deodorant to just kind of speak on the wipes, I think they're very helpful. I like both, but uh, the wipes are something that kind of apply to me more. They're doctor created and they're doctor recommended, and they work up for up to seven days per use. They have a dry shirt guarantee, and a sweat block doesn't keep you dry. Get you get your money back. It's been you know one of the best sellers on Amazon for the past ten years and has over thirteen thousand reviews. So if you or someone you love is dealing with you know sweat issues and sweat stains and all that fun stuff and sweat pits, all that. You need to check out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code locked on, one word, or at amazon.com and CVS. And with Bet Online, you know, it's that time of the year. Football is finally back. It's opening week. The Cowboys and Buccaneers play on Thursday. College football just came back these last two weeks, week and a half, uh, depending on how you describe opening week. And there's no better place to bet on it than betonline.ag. It's your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Yet updated odds, props, contests, including online's BetOnline's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest now open at betonline.ag. Be sure to take advantage of opening day super promo where you make a bet on the game Thursday, September 9th between Super Bowl champs Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games even. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 NFL season. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Use promo code locked on again, one word. So, Continuing where we left off, I'll try. I know I rambled about the Wizards, but I'm going to do in this pairing, I'm going to 
do a rather easy one. The Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets, and then I'm going to leave the Florida teams for the very last. So let's start right back into it. The Atlanta Hawks, I don't feel like I need to say a lot about them. I know, I don't know how hard everyone paid attention to the Hawks this last year, but I mean, they almost made the finals against the Bucks. Um, they won the Southeast division. They, they won a lot. Of, um, let me pull up the exact, I probably should have this. They won 41 games in 72 attempts and they took the champion Bucks to six games in the East. They're returning most of their roster. Boy, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, if he stays healthy, they probably win a few more games. Clint Capella just signed an extension. And something that's really interesting to tie this in with the draft, they really haven't missed on any of their recent picks since this rebuild really began. They took Trey Young in 2018. In 2017, they got an absolute steal in John Collins. In 2018, back to 2018, they also got Kevin Herter, a great value play in the 20s. And then in 2019, this is arguably their worst pick, which was Cam Reddish, and he's a mid-rotation player. Teams would kill to have a mid-rotation player as their worst pick in five years. And then in 2020, they took Onyeka Okongwu. And then in 2021, they got an absolute steal. They got Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper, probably the two biggest steals of the entire draft. So those this Hawks team is an NBA 2K GM's dream. They got everything they wanted. They have the superstar that can pass and score at a super high level in Trey Young. They have one of the best role men and overall offensive-minded power forwards in John Collins. And they have two elite defenders, or sorry, they have two great defenders and one that, one and a half. Clint Capel is already a great defender. Onyeko Okonkwu will be a great defender. Um, he showed out in a lot of plays in the Eastern Conference playoffs and really took advantage of, honestly, in the Philadelphia series, I think Onyeka Okongwu was a difference maker off the bench. He was able to handle at times Joel Embiid, not, not in full loads. It was just limited plays. But when you're a rookie doing that, it's a huge flash, especially when you look at what some other rookie bigs have done. They look a little bit lost. Okongwu showed no fear. He was my number two player in 2020, and I really do think he'll live up to that status. He may not be number two, but he's going to be top three that range. Danilo Gallinari returns. They also added Gorgie Jang. Um, DeAndre Hunter, if he's healthy, that is a huge difference maker. And overall, they kept most of the same team. They also added former Mav DeLon Wright as a backup point guard. Could be a really good landing spot for him to get back into his groove that he had before he signed in Dallas in 2019. So my expectations, my biggest question regarding rookies with the Hawks is, how is Jalen Johnson used in the rotation? Do they need him even? I don't think so. And Will Sharif Cooper get his two-way contract converted? I think that's a pretty easy yes for me. I think he could play himself into that third string, second string backup point guard. He's just so good and with the ball in his hands, he just needs to prove he can play off ball a little bit better. That's really the flaw for him. The overall question I have for the Hawks is can they, you know, kind of just improve around the edges of what they were already good at? You know, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals. While some people saw it a little bit as a fluke, I don't really think it was that much of a fluke. It, it was something that this team is ready to compete. They're stacked. They've got a very good roster construction. I like what Atlanta's doing. I'm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time for them on them. I think you can catch a lot more in-depth stuff from Brad Rowland over at Locked On Hawks. He does a great job explaining everything top to bottom on that Hawks roster. He's where I get half my Hawks information at the least from. So go ahead and check him out if you want more as the season continues to approach. But I really like where the Hawks are at. I don't see them getting an all-rookie player, um, but they do have a lot of intrigue, and they'll probably be picking in the 20s again, assuming uh, I honestly can't remember if they have their pick. Let me actually double-check that before I send you off to him. 
But uh, yeah, they, they have their first round pick this year. And, and potentially if Oklahoma City makes the playoffs, suddenly they have two first round picks. They don't have their own second round uh, pick, but that's okay. They'll, they'll be just fine because that's probably going to be in the 50s. So Atlanta's a really interesting team. Probably more fun if you're tuning in for the NBA side. That's probably the team that you're looking forward to the most. So the next one, though, the Charlotte Hornets are a team that has taken the league by storm. LaMelo Ball is an icon already. He's an incredible rookie, one of the best players under 25 already. And he is, you know, he guided the Hornets to the play-in game. Obviously, they lost pretty badly to the Pacers. But they, it was, it was more of, they were overmatched. You know, I don't, I don't think Gordon Hayward played if my memory serves me right. And they were just kind of happy to be there. I really don't think that they were a team that was bummed necessarily. They're like, Oh, we failed the season because we didn't get there. It was a thing where like, dang, we made it this far. Nobody expected this from us. Nobody expected the Hornets to be as good. Nobody expected Lamelo ball to be this good. And I, I really like where the Hornets are. They have a great situation right now. Miles Bridges enters a, you know, obviously his contract year. And in the draft, they got it. I loved their draft. If you listen to me at all during the draft process, you know how obsessed with James Booknight I was. He ended up there. Great scoring partner for the long run next to Lamelo Ball. Replaces Devontae Graham as that, as that guard score next to Lamelo In a weird role because Terry Rozier is obviously going to be the first guard scorer next to him. But... Um, long term, it's a really nice fit. They also, like I said, Miles Bridges is going into a contract year. PJ Washington is a splendid forward that can play both the four and the five. And I don't know what their big man rotation is going to be necessarily. Mason Plumlee is a really good center, but they still need to improve that. Kai Jones is young and raw. And, you know, Kelly Oubre is a nice forward to add on the wing, and Gordon Hayward is still there. And JT Thor is another forward who they added in the draft. I don't know what to make of the roster, but I do know that they have LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward and Miles Burgess, who is my pick to be the most improved player. And I think that's a team that they have a lot going their way. My biggest questions for them are, can they get the more than one all-rookie player? Because they have three really promising rookies. Probably three of, I'd say two, at least two of these guys, depending on who you follow on Twitter for draft Twitter. It's these guys were big on on draft Twitter, which are JT Thor, James book Knight. That was kind of more the, I was in the middle of this. I, I liked all three of these to some extent and Kai Jones, James book Knight wasn't liked by a lot of people who aim for the feel for the game and the making everyone better and the intangible stuff. Kai Jones kind of same boat, but he's really unique. He's a, he's a center that can hit jab step threes. He can defend multiple positions in his stance, but he's so raw and he just kind of had blunders throughout his career at Texas his two year career. And JT Thor, a super high upside, incredible defender, and has potential as a shot creator and shooter. The question is, can he put it all together? So for the Hornets, my expectation is that they can potentially even dodge the play-in game and get to the sixth seed. It'll be tough. They need a lot to go their way, and they need some misfortune for the teams that are projected ahead of them. But the Hornets could make some noise. I think that's a team to watch as a big sleeper in that regard and just snaking around the play-in game and kind of exceeding expectations. LaMelo Ball makes his teammates better. And I think that's a team that really could just be solid all around. They're not going to be, they're not going to blow you away, but they're going to be good. My biggest question for them though, is how, again, how many all rookie guys can they get and how impactful are their rookies? I'm very curious to see the rotation 
and how much playing time James Booknight, Kai Jones, and JT Thor get. So when I come back, I'm going to preview the Florida teams in Miami and Orlando. But first, a quick word from Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the, uh, the counter orders the parts on their computer? With Rock Auto, you can save time and money very easily. And why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every single customer. They have everything you can need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. So go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. So welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. Final section here, going to go over the Orlando Magic and Miami Heat. Um, So I'll start just straight like I've been doing. Just kind of previewing it, some draft tidbits, what if, all this fun stuff. I know I did the what if for Washington and not necessarily um, Charlotte and Atlanta, but I, I really couldn't find a big one for either. For Charlotte, I'll come back to this. I, I apologize for doing this after the break and not thinking to do this before. But I guess my biggest question for Charlotte is what if they had drafted, Lame- uh, excuse me, they did draft Lamel Ball. What if they drafted Bradley Beal in 2012 instead of Michael Kidd Gilchrist? It's something that. One of those big what ifs, they, they had no business taking Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Watching the tape, I went back and watched some. He was not worthy of the number two pick in any draft. Even in 2013, he would not have gone number two. That guy had a lot of flaws offensively, and it should have been very obvious to the Charlotte Hornets uh, at the time, Bobcats. And I just, I, I think that's one of the bigger what ifs. They could have had a really nice backcourt partner with Kemba Walker. And, Brad, uh, and Bradley Beal, I mean, that, that would have potentially been it if they had done this right. So that's a big what if. Uh, so moving on to Miami, I'll, I'll try and find a what if, but that team is almost perfectly run. Um, quick little preface for them. They really don't miss on draft picks. They've had, they had a span in the mid-90s. I think it was like 1991 to like 97. They had some guys that barely played in the league. After that, I mean, they were not missing. They had D. Wade, obviously. They had, they had Karan Butler, who I forgot they even drafted. They just really haven't missed. Their worst players end up being like Darrell Wright. He's one of their bottom tier draft picks of the 2000s. And that guy had a lengthy career. And he's been someone that if you say Darrell Wright to the average, you know, hardcore fan, they're like, oh yeah, I know him. He was a rotation wing. And it's incredible. Miami just does not miss in the draft. So I'm very high on anyone they take. Uh, Unfortunately, this year they did not have a draft pick. So my job became a little bit less relevant in explaining this one. But in 2022, I assure you, because thankfully of the Stepien rule, they do have their own pick. However, I don't think they have their second round pick uh, this year. They potentially get one from Philadelphia or Denver, whichever is less favorable. But those aren't exactly desirable. Both teams are going to be in the playoffs. Those are probably going to be in the 50s. But they also get their first round pick. So good for them. But Miami doesn't have a whole lot of draft stuff to look forward to outside of the 20-something pick because they're going to be good. In case you missed it, last year they lost, they got swept by the Bucks, the team they beat in the bubble in 2020 in the playoffs in the second round. And 
they added Kyle Lowry. They got a, they traded Precious uh, Achua and Goran Dragic. They added PJ Tucker, and surprisingly, they brought back Udonis Haslam. And they really and they, and they also added Marquise Morris and brought back Victor Oladipo. I uh, should mention that, but they have a very intriguing roster and they're aiming to go back to the finals like they did in the bubble. They want to show it wasn't a fluke. So I don't know how much time they're going to get for their young guys. Um, Admittedly, I don't think they really even have many. I don't think they have a single rookie that is on a guaranteed deal. I know Omer Yurtseven, who I think technically is a rookie. uh, Yes, he is after some quick fact checking. DJ Stewart, those are the two rookies. Neither of those guys are going to make a splash. So they're almost irrelevant on the rookie scale. And, you know, I think this is a team that they're gunning for the finals. Like I said, they're they're wanting to get there. So young players are just not going to be their repertoire this year. That's just not in, it's not in their arsenal. So Miami, just as a quick overview, I think they're a team that they really need to hit and get, you know, they probably need to make one trade deadline acquisition I don't really know who that is, but I do think that they're a team that they're probably one small move away and winning a small move um, from getting over that hump. And they're a team that's going to compete with every single team. They're going to try and get a top three seed with Brooklyn, with Philadelphia, whoever else is up there that you think because it's a wide open top of the East. It's going to be an an, an incredibly tight Eastern Conference Miami's got a tough situation. I think they should probably get rid of Casey uh, or Kizakpala. I, I think that's a guy they need to get rid of ASAP and sell as while he has any value left. He was their 2019 pick, 32nd pick. I think they need to do it. And if they if they can get someone good for Tyler Hero, even they got to be quick because their window is clearly closing. Jimmy Butler is is over 30. Um, <clears throat> you know, Kyle Lowry is near the end of his career. They've got a quick window. So they're probably the least focused on any youth at all. Like I said, Tyler Hero, Hero could go. I guess my what if though for Miami is honestly, what if they had hit, what if in 2011, the year Jimmy Butler was taken 30th overall, where Miami had the 28th pick, they took Norris Cole. What would have happened if had they taken Jimmy Butler? Would he have developed? Would the Heat have extended? Would LeBron have stayed? Would he have gotten so good under LeBron and, you know, learned to just play under LeBron, maybe as a role player first? And then if LeBron left, he breaks out. What happens? That's also a kind of weird what if, but. What if he had been able to, you know, two picks before, could he have developed, you know, in Chicago, he wasn't much of a player, but I don't know. That's an interesting what if for me, but that is what I have for the Miami Heat. I think they got, they're probably going to win the Southeast division. I I think it's safely between them and the Atlanta Hawks. It's kind of a 50, 50. I'm interested to hear if you guys have any predictions, definitely, you know, at me on Twitter at Mavs draft. But before, uh, or excuse me, going on to the Orlando Magic, the last team in the Southeast Division, the Magic just came off of a pretty rough year. They finally bit the bullet. They traded Nikola Vucevic. They traded Aaron Gordon. They traded Evan Fournier. They sold the farm. They went all in on getting young. They don't have many guys that are veterans in this league. They're, they have Robin Lopez is the most tenured player, then Michael Carter-Williams, and then Gary Harris and... Terrence Ross. So that's four guys that have played seven years or more. The next most experience is Markel Fultz, who is entering his fifth year. So not a whole lot of experience on this team. They are looking to get back in the lottery. They're probably going for the Chet Holmgren uh, sweepstakes. And that's a, that's 
going to be a brutal pill for a lot of Orlando fans to swallow because they swallow because they want the magic to be good. And I get it, but it's just very unrealistic this year. So my expectations for them are just outright. They're not going to be good. Like it, it's unrealistic to expect them to be very good. And the best hope is that they see a lot of player development, especially in those guards, because they have a stacked guard uh, unit and they, they really just uh, need to figure out how to play RJ Hampton together. They need to figure out how to take Jalen Suggs, the fifth pick in this draft. They need to play how to figure out how to play Cole Anthony, all three of those guys together. And then Markel Fultz, who has the biggest shooting issues of the four, and they're all guards. So I want to see how Orlando figures that out and makes that all work. That's far and away the biggest concern. The second thing is, what does Mo Bamba do? Um, and obviously, you know, if you don't know this, I'm a big Magic fan, so I'm going to spend a little extra time on this. But how does Mo Bamba develop under uh, new coach Jamal Mosley? Is he going to get better? If he doesn't get better, sound the alarms. He's probably not going to at this point. This is his last call. He really does need to just figure out how to unlock, even if it's just being a 3 and D center. That is a great role. I've seen it for the Mavs. Maxi Kleba is exactly that. If you can do that, you get a useful rotation player in the playoffs. That's all they need. And in that case, you sign him to an extension. You want to see it obviously be able to be projectable, but at this point, you'll take anything you can get. Now him next to Wendell Carter, who was up for an extension after this season. He's going to be a restricted free agent, barring an extension this year. He is also someone who needs to prove that he's worth that money. He's going to be, you know, solid defender. He had really good flashes after the trade for Nikola Vucevic from pretty much April to the end of the season in May. But how does that work? You know, fitting it all together. And then my next question is, you know, this kind of fits in with the other issues where they have a log jam at guard. They kind of have a log jam at forward too. I mean, it's a minor issue, but you have Jonathan Isaac, who I also do kind of see as a five that kind of solves some of this. Gary Harris, is he a trade piece? Terrence Ross, is he a trade piece? They're, that's a wing. There's Harris and um, and Ross. And then Shumo Kiki, who's a combo wing and forward. How do you fit all these guys together? And then you just drafted Franz Wagner, who's also a combo wing and forward. Is it too redundant? Are you just going for talent? How do you make it work? And can this be projectable to winning basketball? Because a lot of these guys are glue guys that gener- generally kind of make the team's impact better. Can that continue, and does that make the Magic a little bit too good to tank this year? Is it something that helps year two, which is probably the best thing that could happen, is that they are they end up bad this year, but next year they start winning close to 30 games and they take a jump. That's what they really wanted for the Magic in the mid-2010s, like the 2015 season. You know, Magic really needed Vucevic, Fournier, and Gordon to take that jump together and become even just the eight seed or the nine seed, even just miss the playoffs by a seed. And that would be huge for them. But instead, the Magic are probably going to have to explore trade options for Robin Lopez. They'll probably have to explore trade options for Gary Harris and Terrence Ross, maybe even Mo Bamba. Do they cut Michael Carter-Williams, who at this point is a wing and was loved by Steve Clifford? I don't know what to make of the Magic this year. It's probably going to be bad in terms of individual development, because I know the team in general is not going to be good. They're probably going to be the 15th team in the East and arguably the worst team in the NBA, which, again, not a bad thing this year. It sucks in the moment. But it's very good because if you get a at any draft, I've said this before on, on these episodes, but and I slipped these in, but the draft gets deeper every single year. There's never a bad time to tank. Even in a 2013 draft, we saw there's two generational players. Rudy Gobert is a generational defender. Giannis Antetokounmpo is an all-time player already. 
So you really can't go wrong in tanking. You just have to really do it, do your research, which the Magic clearly have done. Um, some interesting tidbit, the Magic are actually one of the best drafting teams in the league. They really don't miss one of their biggest misses. And I'll actually use this as a tie-in to my what if was in 2005, they made a draft promise to a guy named Fran Vazquez who said, do not draft me. And what did the Magic do? They said, okay, come to the Magic. We just drafted you at 11. Granted, there wasn't a much better than him that ended up being in the league from the next five picks. I mean, it was Sean May, Yaroslav Korolev. Never, he played two years. Those two guys played a combined six years. Antoine Wright played six years. Rashad McCants, Joey Graham, and then Danny Granger. But you're probably not taking the 17th pick at 11. That probably wasn't ever on the table. So it wasn't a huge negative, but having that, he never even played. He was the only first round pick of that draft. The only player in the thir- first 34 picks, the next player who didn't even play in the league was the 35th pick and then the 46th pick. Those are the three guys in the top 50 that did not play a game in the NBA ever. So what if the Magic had done that right? What if they just simply traded out and got into the 2006 draft, which was a pretty dang good draft? It had Chris Paul. It had Darren Williams. It had Brandon Roy. It had Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, and actually, I stand corrected. That was not the Darren Williams draft. Uh, I had that backwards. I think 2005 actually was that. So it had Lamarcus Aldridge. It had Brandon Roy. It had Rudy Gay. had J.J. Redick, who the Magic ended up taking at the same slot, 11, next year. What if they had simply even gotten, say, I don't know, the 21st pick who ended up being Rajon Rondo or the 24th pick who got Kyle Lowry. Big what ifs. But ultimately, the Magic have been very good at drafting. This is why I think if you're a Magic fan, you should be confident in the Magic being terrible this year. The Magic really don't miss. And at the worst, they've kind of played along the average trajectory of a team that drafts. They hit one year, they miss, and then they hit again. In twenty, This has been really, you can even trace this back to the last five years. 2017, they got Jonathan Isaac. 2018, they got Mo Bamba. 2019, they got Chuma Okiki. And in 2020, they got Cole Anthony. In 2021, Jalen Suggs. I'm fairly confident in saying four of those five are going to stick. Most teams do not get four of five in a draft, an 80% draft hit in five years. And really, if you date this back to the 2000s and even the 90s, the Magic still just rarely missed. J.J. Redick, Jameer Nelson, Dwight Howard, even and even though Dwight Howard was the number one pick, he was still, it was still almost a dilemma for a lot of, for pre-draft for teams to say, Ooh, do we take a Mecca Okafor, the college guy or Dwight Howard, the high school kid. So really the magic just have been great at drafting. Unfortunately, the biggest blunders you take away three years in the last six, three drafts in the last six years. And one of them still a little bit too early to say it was a loss, but it's just the early returns have been negative, which is Mo Bamba. But 2015 Mario Hazonia, I think that was a good pick. I can defend that one because he had all the tools. He just never got better. You really can't project him not getting better. You can project not translating, but just not getting better. That's a tough one. In 2016, they traded Serge Ibaka for, for, they traded for him, excuse me, for the number 11 pick. Awful. Just inexcusable. That was just bad front office. But in 2014, they took Aaron Gordon when everybody expected them and wanted them to take Dante Exum, who has generally been a bust. He was the next pick. It was wildly unpopular. They took Victor Oladipo at number two in the most unpredictable draft of this the last 10 years in 2013. And they found diamonds in the rough. They got Kyle O'Quinn at 49. This is a different front office, of course. But they found these guys that continued to contribute. They had Courtney Lee at 22. They had J.J. Redick at 11. Like I said, they had Franz Vazquez. They had in they had Martian Gortat at 57. They got him. 
Dwight Howard in 2004. They they had Zaza in 2003 as well as Keith Bogans. There's a lot of hits. The Magic were one of two teams to hit in the top ten in one of the worst in the top five, excuse me, of one of the worst drafts of the century. Probably the worst draft in 2000 with Mike Miller. This team has found a way really the entire century to hit. I trust the Magic front office to draft, and you should too if you're a Magic fan. There's a lot to like for this upcoming draft. You'll hear me talk about it all the time, I promise, coming October, really once college basketball starts up. This draft is a good draft to tank for, and the Magic are a good front office that does their homework. So that has been this episode of Locked On NBA Draft, previewing the Southeast Division. I hope I didn't you know, talk too much about stuff you didn't care about, but I hope this was helpful information and just generally gets you in the mood back for the NBA, which comes back in six weeks. Very excited for that. But go check out Locked On today. In the meantime, for all the days until the NBA comes back, and even then to catch up on all the news from other sports and everything like that with football coming back Thursday. But thank you so much. I'll be back next Tuesday. Again, my name is Richard Stamen. You can follow me at Mavs Draft if this is your first time listening. Love to interact with you. I, I try and interact with everyone as much as possible. But thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day.